Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and in this week's episode, my guest is Paul Zemba from Talking Cursive Brewing Company. Well, uh, I'm thrilled to have Paul on the podcast. I've actually, we were, we were trying to get a show off the ground last year, and, and one of the episodes is going to be featuring Paul, um, but that show just had a lot of moving parts and it required a big staff in terms of the production side, and we just were never able to really get it going. So finally, thrilled to have Paul on the podcast and sit down and, and talk with him. Well, today is April 1st, and I didn't think about this before I came in to record this intro this morning, but it is officially one year to the day that I opened up 3-1 Fried, which is a fried chicken sandwich restaurant that I'm a partner in uh, up in North Syracuse. My partners in that restaurant are are Nick and Chuck, the owners of Limp Lizard Barbecue, so I, I really couldn't be more um, privileged or fortunate than to have two guys who are so such successful restaurant owners and event managers as Nick and Chuck. But uh, um, yeah, it's been a year. And you know, it's funny, I, I've had a few people mention this, mention this to me uh, uh, over the past year. And that is, you know, up until I opened the restaurant, I had always said that I would not wish restaurant ownership on my worst enemy. And uh, and then over last year, I opened up that restaurant and I became a partner and started working and the uh, at, out at the bar at Abbott Farms. And the last year is it's been really interesting. It's it's wild to go from the marketing side of things and, and kind of think that I have an idea on the marketplace and kind of what customers want for food in the area, then to go into restaurant ownership and management where you're making decisions and, and trying to get customers to come in. And it's just been a really interesting experience, I think. And one of the things that I've really learned from all of this is that it's very easy to open a restaurant. That is an extremely easy thing to do. If you have money, if you have time, <laughs> um, uh, it's it really takes n not much at all to open a restaurant and to produce food and to have a name and all that kind of stuff. Those are really just, you know, steps that you have to, you know, take. And uh, the, the challenging thing is, is to keep it. And it's also not it's not also not difficult to get customers. The first two, three, four months, depending on your restaurant, you will be extraordinarily busy if you open anything new food related here in central New York. And I'm assuming that's the case in most cities, but definitely here in central New York. The challenging part is continuing that volume or something close to it for the rest of the year. You know, the, the one thing that I've learned that, you know, is that you can't, um, is restaurants who have time really are just habits, you know, so much easier than restaurants who don't have time. And, um, you know, time open. Uh, the, the community has to like, you really have to have a, what I'm going to assume is a couple years under your belt for the community to really like remember you so to speak. And, um, and anyway, so, so that's been really interesting. It's like, okay, we opened this massive fanfare and tons of business and then it just slowly tapered off. Now, how do we get that back? And, um, so anyways, or, or is that ever going to come back? Is that just the abnormal and now this is the normal and we need to try and do this or do that to raise the normal up a little bit. So it's just been really interesting. Also, you know, staffing sucks. <laughs> It is amazing. I feel like I have my life, uh, like uh, my life at times can feel chaotic. And, but I, but 
then you work with people who are restaurant employees and you realize you, you have no idea what chaos is. Uh, and you start to realize how many people don't have their shit together in life. And it's, it's just a really wild experience to work with people who can have so many different changes and swings and just try and get getting someone to show up consistently every day with a great attitude and produce great food without making dumb mistakes is maybe one of the most impossible things in this life. Uh, I think that's what I've learned over the last year. Uh, anyways, it's been fun. Um, and yeah, I've really enjoyed it. There's, there's there really is nothing like having an idea for of like a menu item, figuring out how to do it, putting it in place, photographing it, marketing it, putting it for sale, training the staff, and then seeing it sell. That really is just a great feeling. So it's been, it really has been fun. It's been challenging, but it's also been fun. And, um, and yeah. Well, I'm excited. We've got a lot of awesome things coming out for Eat Local New York. It's so incredibly busy. And, um, you know, we have the events company that I've talked about. We're starting Salt City Food Tours, which is a walking food tour of downtown Syracuse that I'm really, you know, I, when I go, I've talked about this before, but when I go to other cities, the thing that I most regret about Syracuse is we don't have a, a huge tourism base. I mean, our tourism base is based off athletics. Um, you know, now with Micron, I'm sure with, you know, SUNY Upstate, we get some you know, for business and other business, but we get some for business um, and obviously other organizations and things that, you know, I'm just not aware of, but we get some, but we don't, we're not like a, a massive tourism based uh, city area. Um, there's the Finger Lakes and yada, yada, but I'm talking about in Syracuse. And so like, I think of the time that I went to Louisville and, you know, you kind of like get off the plane and are, are essentially handed a bourbon trail book. And we just don't have that in, in the city of Syracuse. And so it's something that I want to try and change. Not that I think Syracuse is ever going to become this massive hub for tourism, but I think we can do a better job of connecting with people that are visiting our area and, and showing them kind of the best of what we have to offer. And in my area, that's food. And so that's what we're going to try and do with Salt Sea Food Tours. I'm excited for that. It's going to be launching next month in May. Um, but yeah, just a lot of cool stuff. If you know, I've talked about ChatGPT and AI for the past few weeks. And one thing that we launched, I told you about the ebook. The one thing that I decided to launch is, and that is a website where every day we're going to be posting a new blog that gives, if you're a business owner, a restaurant owner, and you're looking for ways, like direct, specific ways that you can use ChatGPT to help grow your marketing, your business, operate, then we're writing blogs that are going to teach you how to do those things. Really short blogs. You can read them in a couple minutes, uh, but we're putting those out. And the website is DinerAI, D-I-N-E-R-A-I.com. You can head there. You can buy the you can buy the ebook, uh, but you can also go there and read the blogs and just you know learn and grow and develop your business. So DinerAI.com. Make sure you check that out. Um, we've got an industry night coming up at Buried Acorn at the end of this month. I'll give you more details on that. Uh, it's for all you restaurant owners and managers. It's going to be a great time. We've got so many events going on with Salt City events. We've got our, our bar crawl coming up, uh, Sangria Crawl. We've got a beer and cheese pairing event in Boonville at, uh, at Woodland Farm Brewery at the Holbert House coming up. There's so many different things that we're trying to do and uh, to make an impact here in the community and uh, and and help change our food and beverage scene. So yeah, really excited for all that kind of stuff. Um, I do want to talk about real quick our sponsor here on the podcast, and that is Brown Carbonic. I've talked about them a lot. 
uh, over the past few weeks since they came on as a sponsor. I cannot say enough great things about them. It's been really just, um, you know, the more and more, I know I gave this kind of story last week, but really the more and more that I am out there talking to people about the podcast, and I'm like, yeah, Brown Carbonic's a sponsor. They're like, that's great. And I started to tell them about like, if you if you heard of Brown Carbonic, you know you know what they do. And they're like, yeah, we use them. Uh, so I, I guess to to me, it's like uh, just becoming aware of this company. I'm like, holy cow! I can't believe they they do all of this, and they're servicing you know local companies here in Syracuse. But uh, to everybody else, it's like, yeah, we know about them. We've been using them. Uh, but for those of you who haven't, let me tell you about Brown Carbonic. Great family owned and operated local company based right here in Syracuse. And if you are a bar owner, manager, brewery owner, you're looking for your nitrogen, your CO2, bam, Brown Carbonic is your company. If you're looking for craft beverages and sodas, Brown Carbonic is your company. If you're looking for ice machines, dish machines, cleaning supplies, chemicals, Brown Carbonic is your company. Listen, we talk about it. You're listening to the Eat Local New York podcast. We'll support local in New York and if you are a restaurant owner, manager, decision maker listening to this, please, for the love of God, stop giving your money to the national and international companies. Support a local business. Brown Carbonic, you need to give them a call over at 315 454 3591. I can't say it. You know, I put on the podcast one time that we needed, a, we needed podcast sponsors to keep the podcast going. And in that week, I got an email from Sean. And that says a lot about a person and their business. So support them. Contact Brown Carbonic if you're looking for any of those things. Uh, really, it's just so important to keep local businesses going and thriving. So hit up Brown Carbonic. All right. Well, without further ado, we're going to jump into this week's conversation, the podcast with Paul from Talking Cursive Brewing Company. Talking Cursive, what, four years old, three years old? Uh, yeah, opened in 2019, uh, established in 2017. It's not often, maybe it is in breweries, I don't know. Um, it's not often to see such depth in um, staff right out of the gates mm. with any like food business, especially a brewery, I think, in, in our area, like Talking Cursive had. You know, because I feel like from the get-go, it was... Um, there was like a marketing person and there was this person. Yeah. And that was like a little unusual in a good way. Yeah. Unusual. Um, so because of that, I usually always just reach out to Andrew mm-hmm. and like, Hey, you guys want to do this event? Hey, you want to do this? Yeah. And he's like, this person does it or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Alexis is uh, our front of house manager has definitely taken over the like planning aspect of events and whatnot. Um, yeah. Andrew still keeps the like beer events going, mm-hmm. but it's kind of, that's more of a joint effort as far as like, um, our beer dinners and our brunches that we've been been doing. Um, yeah, that's that's mostly Alexis. Gotcha. Um, it's yeah. a collaborative effort, but she's kind of the one spearheading. Yeah, that going forward. It's just really interesting to see like a biz, like a local business in the first few years that has that much organization. I guess mm-hmm. it's, it's great. Yeah, that's a, a pleasure to hear. Cause it's real <laughs> business. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't always feel that way. You know, in mm. the midst of it. Um, so it's nice to hear it from the outside. All right, so you brought some beer. I did. Um, I brought our newish lager that we 
tapped over the weekend, and we were going to mm-hmm. put out an announcement later this week about it. Okay. Um, it's called Crash Into Me. Um, oh, cool. We Let me get we're some glasses. going off of something based <laughs> off uh, <laughs> uh, the Onondaga Parkway Bridge yeah. um, and just kind of making it as like an everyday beer drinker's beer, um, an everyday man, everyday woman's beer. Um, <laughs> Willow Rock cups and a talking curse of beer. Yeah. No, I mean, they're good friends of ours. So, <laughs> as long as next time they come in and use uh, TC glasses. <laughs> um, so, we were going back and forth on the name. We had come up with, uh, we were going to do like Parkway Pills, but it wasn't quite a Pilsner. Mm. Um, and then we ended up deciding, like, kind of Stuck Truck Lager was one we had for a mm. little bit. And then Alexis came up with Crash Into Me mm. um, with the subtle Dave Matthews reference to. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of stuck. We came up with the name like probably three, four weeks ago. Okay. Um, had the beer, you know, in the tanks ready to go. And then yesterday with the the most recent yeah. truck hitting it, we're like, <laughs> all right, well, we have to announce it today. So it kind of wrote itself. Oh, yeah. Um, funny. So, yeah, just a, a new house lager. Um, we're using it in-house for ourselves, um, but also a lot of accounts are taking it and kind of rebranding it. Uh, oh, Anger Smokehouse just picked one up. Oh, cool. Um, we did it with the Village Tavern um, over in Marcellus. Um, they picked some up. Um, Is that really like, do you all get a lot of calls for, um, I won't say co-branding, but for. Uh, uh, it's kind of like contract. Yeah. Contract branding. Um, yeah, we've done it a couple times. Um, we just did one with our Crispy Girls. We did that with uh, Crazy Daisies. Um, they came in and brewed with us. Uh, about a month and a half ago. Um, like, they're going to go through a shit ton of beer. Yeah, exactly. Especially going into the, you know, their busy, busy time. Well, right. their only time of the year, really. Yeah. Um, so that that's going to come out right for when they open. Um, talking crazy uh, is what they're calling it. We've done, we just did something with the Craftsman over in Manlius, mm. or uh, Fayetteville, rather. Okay. Um, that was a apricot oat ale. Mm. Um, we've done a couple other ones in the past. Something with uh, LDs on the river. Okay. Up in... Uh, Fulton, Oswego, I yeah. think. Um, so hmm. kind of, you know, fit, you know, our accounts that have really always worked well with us yeah. and then try to give them something that they can put their name on yeah. um, and kind of like, you know, help each other out right. in that way. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Crash into me. So it's uh, just uh, two row and a little bit of honey malt for mm. a little background sweetness. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Huh. It's like a little sour, like not sour, but like it like kind of, you know, it kind of hits you in like the corners like a sour beer does a little bit. Yeah, like uh, the, the dryness kind of comes through a little bit. Um, definitely just like. Mm. But the front is like sweet and then <laughs> the back of the back end of it kind of like uh, bitters out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, a little lemony. Uh, mm-hmm. We used uh, sapphire and pearl hops in there. Okay. Um, very lightly hopped. Um, just kind of one of those easy drinking, but also easy to make kind of beers. Yeah. Um, some of my favorites. That's really interesting. I found that to be the, like the thing that I noticed most about talking cursive beers is that they are easier drinking beers. Yeah. You know, you we, got... we try to make something for everyone too. Um, yeah. you know, you got, um, more of our classic English styles, um, like our ESB and, um, some of our Belgian styles. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, everyone wants the, the hype beers too, you know, the heavy dry hops and the, the heavy fruited IP or, uh, sours. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm curious about a couple things with you. One of them is where you come from and why are you here and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. 
the other thing I'm curious and the thing I want to talk about most because you're about to go down to it, and that is the is it the New York State Brewers Convention? What is it? Yeah, the New York State Brewers Conference okay. uh, put on by the New York State Brewers Association. Are you all submitting beers for that? Yep. So I brought four of the ones that we submitted. Okay. Um, we submitted – I actually got the list this morning just so I was prepared. Yeah. Um, so last year we won silver in traditional lager for Crispy Girls. Um, so we resubmitted that. We resubmitted its sister beer, um, Crispy Girls After Dark, which is a Czech dark lager. Mm. Um, Stack Keys, our newest hazy. Nymo Elvis, uh, our double IPA. Uh, rhubarb Raspberry Pie in the, uh, the sour category. Mm. Um, we have a Belgian table beer that we did with uh, Karuba fruit. Mm. Um, mm. Very lightly fruited um, in the, Bel- the other Belgian car- category. Uh, our Oktoberfest, a barrel-aged barley wine that we took out of a port barrel hmm. that was from Awera that then Old Home Distillers took oh, wow. and did their brother's cut um, in that port barrel, and then we hmm. got it right after them. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with how that turned out, and I'm yeah. anxiously excited to see how that <laughs> is received by the judges. Um, and then Ooh. finally, a beer that I made with my friend Jack uh, Drapa out of... Uh, Burlington, Vermont, uh, Trail of Angry Otters. Okay. Which was, uh, we had, it started off as a steam beer with a little bit more darker malts. Hmm. Um, it kind of transformed a little bit more into like a Kentucky Common. Hmm. Um, it's kind of a, a little amalgamation of styles. Yeah. Um, huh. but That's very interesting. That was a fun one too. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's just all the New York State brewers that are part of the Brewers Association um, out in Albany for two days of, Kind of breakout sessions, um, a lot of sponsors like East uh, East Conference or uh, East Talks, dry mm. hopping practices. There's you know more behind the scenes finance and marketing and yeah. HR kind of things, um, but cool. just a really good networking event. Yeah, yeah for sure. So yeah. Uh, so who are the ju- like um, you know who are the judges that are judging all the beers? Um, they're pretty like brewers. Um, just kind of, I believe you have to be. BGCP certified, oh, which okay. is just the the certification program by, uh, I think it's put on by the like U.S. Brewers Association, mm. um, but just some content creators, um, other beer writers, um, content creators. Well, like, uh, yeah, I mean, in the sense of uh, people that like someone like you, um, you could get certified and do the judging. I hope not. Um. <laughs> I genuinely, I, 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 I genuinely hope no one like me is down there judging the beer that I, you spent I, time <laughs> creating. <laughs> I think there's a, a far reaching umbrella of, of kind of who's in there. Oh, um, really? A lot of people just in the industry. Um, yeah. So I was like, I'm all, I'm curious. I'm always curious. Cause like, I, I know what that is in wine and spe- in spirits. It's like all over the place. I'm sure there is like one for you know one or two for spirits, but mm-hmm. the spirits there's like a hundred different you know um, grading authorities, so to speak, out okay. there. But I was I was um, but I never the only thing I've ever heard of in beer is the New York State one. So I was I was trying to think of and I haven't researched it yet, but like what are those? Like is there is there a deeper? Uh, sort of more prestigious, I guess. Yeah. So there's the na- the big nationwide one is the Great American Beer Festival. Oh, okay. Um, and the other big there's the worldwide beer world beer cup um okay. which is probably 
one of the highest end ones. Oh, really? um, the New York State, this one, um, and the awards will be on Friday evening, mm-hmm. is the largest state-run gotcha. competition. Okay. Um, there's a couple other nationwide ones, a couple other state ones. Yeah. Um, there's a few international ones. I believe GABF is takes international submissions too. Oh wow. Um, but there's, I think there's a lot more state-run events. Mm. Um, and then you even like you can even go down to the homebrew level, and there's homebrew competitions for oh, really for people all over the all all over the states. That's cool. Is that how you got started in in making beer? So I homebrewed a little in college, um, and then after college, my parents actually opened a restaurant in uh, Bridgewater, Vermont, okay. right by Killington. Um, so I worked there for a little bit, kind of tended bar, serving tables, um, and then ended up in the kitchen um, and learned to cook for about two years. How old were you when they did that? Uh, right out of college, so 22, 21, oh, wow. 22. How old were they? Um, I might get in trouble for this, but uh, <laughs> uh, late 40s, early 50s. Okay. That's cool. Um, so did they come from food service? Uh, no, they just enjoyed going out to restaurants. It was kind of a dream of theirs. Uh, cool. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad uh, had a commercial construction business oh, in wow. uh, White Plains, New York, Okay, where we grew up. All right, that makes sense. So um, <laughs> The restaurant leap isn't too far. Yeah, so <laughs> we, uh, we grew up, I grew up skiing at Killington. It was a place that was always due to our heart. Okay. Um, so right after I graduated from high school, my brother and mom moved up full-time when my dad kind of wrapped up his business. Mm-hmm. They started, they opened a in and restaurant. Um, I started to help them out. Um, hmm. Things uh, didn't work out as best as they would have hoped. Yeah. Um, so I transitioned. I was trying to just find something else to do while I figured out what to do with my actual degree. Yeah. Um, what was bi- your degree? Biology. Oh, okay. Um, I wanted to do uh, like animal biology and wildlife rescue. Oh, that's cool. It's kind of where my head was at, yeah. um, but took a little bit to <laughs> figure out what I really wanted to do. Um, and ended up reaching out to Long Trail Brewing, which was right across the street from our restaurant, mm. um, trying to see if they had anything in the kitchen or just serving beers. Well, I was thinking I would ski bum for a little bit for another winter. Yeah. Um, and they had an opening in the back. Mm. And I just kind of fell into the team there. And then I was there for eight and a half years, right wow. up until COVID. Brewing at Long Trail? Yep. Holy shit. Um, yeah, from a team of probably 10 to 11 brewers, um, doing a couple hundred thousand barrels a year. And then COVID hit and yeah, uh, kind of looking for a change. Wanted to <laughs> do something a little more small and kind of have more creativity. Yeah. Um, All right, I'm going to take a quick pause here and remind you to call Brown Carbonic. You were thinking about it in the intro we were talking about it, but you didn't write down their phone number. It's 315-454-3591. If you're a bar owner, restaurant owner, brewery owner, you use you have a draft system, call them. You need nitrogen, CO2, Brown Carbonic is your company. Again, hit them up at 315-454-3591. And now, back to the podcast. I had actually come out here with my uh, my wife at the time, um, right after our son was born, because um, our parents are from Kaz. Okay. Um, and Talking Curse had just opened up. It was like a week or two before their first anniversary. Hmm. Um, and I just stopped in, said hi, chatted with Andrew a little bit, went home. We were you know, had always thought about moving uh, to the Syracuse area. Yeah. Uh, or at least like somewhere out of Vermont. Yeah. Um, and I saw that Andrew was looking for somebody to take over the brewing yeah. process and kind of just reached out, and I started in August of 2020. That's cool. And I've been here since. Yeah. So. My uh, my uncle and aunt used to live in Burlington. They lived there for okay. like 20 years, I think. Yeah. And they just moved out last year. 
last year or the year before that they moved they moved back to Kentucky. Okay, um, that's quite the leap. Well, we're all for originally from Kentucky. Okay, uh, that's, that's where I was born and raised. Till I was thirteen, Northern Kentucky, like Cincinnati area. Okay, and um, but yeah, still yes, Burlington to Northern Kentucky is quite the leap. Yeah, just you know. I mean weather alone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm sure just vibe of you yeah. Know, general population <laughs> yeah very different yeah for sure um yeah so uh and i forget if he's the one that got me on to long trail uh or what but i stumbled upon it my first time ever having it what was the name of the beer uh they honestly all the cans look the same um, um i mean they're big ones that i mean i right when i turned when in college before i could actually go out to the store and buy beer it was always keystone light or Coors light or yeah um, but once I was going to the store, blackberry wheat was always a big one. Okay. Um, and then, uh, their double bag, which is their German double alt. Okay. Um, because you could get a six pack of that and you'd be set for the night. Yeah. This at mu- the time they were like 14 bucks for a six pack. <laughs> this must've been an IPA, uh, or a pale ale maybe. I don't know. Okay. Um, is there a beer called the long trail? There's long trail ale. Yep. Yeah. Which is that's a, it? Yep. An alt beer. Okay. Like an amber ale. All right. Well, anyways, um, anyways uh, I stumbled upon them at uh, I think not Deep Eddie's. Uh, what's the name of the place up in shit? I don't know that I like with the shark on top of the building. Oh, oh my god, that's gonna drive me crazy. I finally know a lot more places in the surrounding Syracuse area, but yeah. that's that's outside the realm of yeah. <laughs> what I know yet. Um, oh man, it's gonna drive me crazy. Anyways, it's a like very well known place. Okay. Small little like beach town, sort of on Oneida Lake, and uh, uh, huge place, but it, it's a cool spot. But, anyways, I had the beer for the first time there, okay. And I was like, oh, shit, this is a great beer. Um, that's a huge brewery, yeah. It was, uh, it was in the top 50 uh, like Brewers Association, like, per, like mm. from production standpoint and from just kind of reach. Um, did you know how big of a deal that was when you first started there? I don't think so. I don't. I think it was kind of like craft beer was really starting to pop at that point. Like Long Trail had been around. Um, they they started the year I was born. Okay. Um, so they had been around for you know twenty two years by the time I started. Hmm. Um, I knew you know you could get everywhere. It felt like a cool place to work, but yeah, it wasn't really until I a couple years after when I started to really learn more about the industry and then you know a lot more smaller craft breweries popped up that I was like, okay, this is actually. Yeah. This is a this is pretty cool. This is a pretty big deal. Hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, after about a year or so, really kind of learning more about the production side because it's completely different than, you know, making beer in your garage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess not nowadays. Most people, like a lot of some of the smaller pop-ups, it's, some of them are just glorified homebrew setups. Oh, or yeah. you can buy oh, yeah. um, a pilot, essentially the same thing that some of the breweries around here use as a pilot system mm. for your garage, yeah. um, depending on how deep you want to go. Huh. Um, that's wild. But at that point, I realized there was no turning back. Yeah. So that's pretty interesting. So what was that? I mean, what were some of the, like the big things that you've learned? I mean, uh, that's a really big deal to go from like a brewery of that substance to then here to Syracuse to talking cursive. Um, so I mean, what were some of those things that like you you feel like you've learned? I mean, do you talk to other other brewers in the area where it's like you've got a leg up on so many of them because you were at such a massive operation? I think everyone has, like, if there's one thing I learned, it's like everyone has learned the same things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never felt like it was uh, a leg up. 
um, more so like just a different way to think about it or a different yeah. way to do it. Um, there's a lot I had to learn about brewing on a more of a small scale mm. um, and not having kind of the ability to kind of fix small issues very easily. Yeah. Um, like we could always, you know, if something was wrong with one batch, kind of tweak it on another batch and blend them together. Mm. Whereas you, you kind of are pigeonholed yeah. in a smaller setup. Um, yeah. It's like, well, this is where, is it, can we, <laughs> can we use this or is it going down the drain? Um, if anything, like just the, the mindset of, uh, like time management and just kind of like planning out the day. Mm-hmm. I think actually starting in a kitchen setup and learning how to cook like on a on a line yeah. really helped me for that kind of production standpoint. Mm-hmm. Just from like, okay, here's what you have to get done during the day. What's going to take the longest? Yeah. Start there, get those things moving, and then you can kind of pick away at the little things. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. definitely kind of like a mise en plus kind of mindset. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, hmm. but. There's a lot that is a crossover, but there's definitely, you know, I don't think, I think the regional breweries, I mean, there's still that some that are still hanging on, but yeah. I think that's kind of, at least in the last five years, has definitely really seemed to hmm. been the change in the, the craft yeah. scene. Um, everyone's got the, the local places they'd rather go as opposed to going to the store to buy something like Long Trail or, uh, um, hmm. for, or for, you know, examples around here. Like, you still have people that are going to go buy something like Southern Tier or, um, yeah, um, Saranac and stuff like that, and they're still you know even bigger than New York, but right. a lot more people mm. if they want to go get a beer after work, they're going to go to their their local brewery, and it's not really not hard for yeah pretty much any town. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's so many of them here in Syracuse nowadays, Central New York. Uh, I'm kind of the opposite. I mean, I hate to say that as eat local New York, but they eat local New York guy. But uh, I don't, I don't drink, I don't, I definitely don't drink as much as I used to now that we've had our son who, you know, he's four months old. So mm-hmm. like, I'm really cautious about, you know, not getting a buzz on because especially at night, if I've got to go up and pick him up, if he's crying or something. Um, but I'm a bit, I'm really into like the branding and like label designs and stuff and just like kind of that feeling that it gives me, mm-hmm. you know, summer's coming around. So I know I'm going to be a Sierra Nevada, you know, or a long trail yep. purchaser. That's just what I'm going to get because it's like summer and bonfires and, you know, grilling out in Sierra Nevada. And and so maybe that's just great on their branding. I don't know. But uh, I also don't find too many pale ales around here, which I'm a huge, that's like, that's my beer of choice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There are definitely, you know, I I would be shocked if you talk to anybody that was actually in the beer industry that wasn't like, if if I'm going to go get a couple beers to to bring home or drink cooking out or hanging yeah. out by outside that wouldn't say something like PBR or yeah. around here, Utica club or, right. you know, they have their macro bland brand yeah. um, as opposed to being like, well, I'm going to go get a, yeah. a four pack of talking cursive and take it home. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's just me. I mean, I, I do, I love seeing like local beers at Wegmans and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I love seeing that kind of stuff, even though now more and more as I learn about distribution, I realize how much of a pain in that and the ass that is for them to be in the Wegmans and Tops yeah. and all those stores. The hope with that kind of stuff is that you get people that are interested in trying it because they've heard about it and see it in their local store, yeah. pick it up, like it, and then make the trip to yeah. come to your actual physical location and yeah. then have, you know, have beer there, have food there, yeah. and hang out for a little bit and tell their friends about it. Yeah. Um, hmm. 
I think is the real market. Yeah. I don't think that happens. It's the secret. Uh, I know, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If, I don't. I could be wrong, but I don't think that that happens. Um, you have a lot of brand loyalty too. Um, yeah. Especially with like local breweries. Yeah. For um, sure. Like you have people that you know. We have we have we have our own you know regulars that come in all the time. They still go out to other places, but where they're yeah. You know, if they're if they had to pick one out of the you know five or six local places yeah. they'll come here it's not that they don't like the other places but right. they like talking cursive and they yeah. have people that well they prefer to go to willow rock or middle ages or right. you know 315 full bore like yeah. you everyone's got their their regular crowd yeah. and their loyalists yeah so what's it been like for you over the past you know three years uh you know at talking cursive going from you know coming from such a huge brewery to then you know, talking cursive, and then now three years later, what's what's like? What are some of the bigger changes that you've noticed? Uh, I've learned a lot about my particular like style and like stylistically, like what I like to make mm-hmm. and kind of where my creativity lies. A um, hmm. lot more of like tweaking processes in the sense of getting something consistent. Um, trying to read the market and see where things are going. Hmm. Um, the thing I've definitely have gravitated and loved the most has been just the community, especially in Syracuse, but also just in New York. Yeah. Um, and kind of working with everybody else um, in the area and, and learning things from them or being able to teach, like bring something to the table when um, we have a conversation. Yeah. Um, hmm. So last year, at the beginning of the year, I talked to, at the end of 2021, I had talked with Andrew about like, all right, let's do a year of collaborations. Let's get, like, let's do, let's try to do one a month. Cool. Um, get somebody in or we go somewhere but yeah. kind of and the, the way most beer collaborations work it's like you do one here and then you do one there mm. um, it's kind of you get two out of it it's a little bit easier yeah. on the paperwork side as opposed to trying to like split the bash financially and whatnot um, and one thing led to another and we ended up doing 17 collabs last year Jesus. Um, with 12 different breweries not counting the ukrainian collab that we did Mm. uh at myers creek yeah um, which was 20 central new york breweries yeah um that's wild so that was a lot of fun um definitely exhausting by december yeah for sure um so this year uh the new year's resolution like we're gonna focus on ourselves (laughs) and then uh we're never doing that again (laughs) yeah uh but now we you know it's march and we've we've had crazy daisies in we've had uh the craftsman team in we've had the village tavern in um, we're doing more, uh, account collaborations. Yeah. Um, we're still going to do some, you know, brewery collaborations. We have a couple ideas in the works and a couple people that, you know, we want to work with again. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, that's the fun part of it for me is mm-hmm. making those connections. And, um, part of the reason I'm really looking forward to the conference this weekend is to see a lot of people that I haven't, you know, I've talked to mm-hmm. over the past year, but just haven't had the chance to, to see, cause either I'm not at the festival or. They didn't make it to the you know one of the various festivals that happened throughout the year. Yeah, um, that's cool. And we're all just so busy. So. Yeah. So what are those styles that like creativity over the past few years? Like, what are those styles that you've kind of like honed in on or learned that like, man, I really enjoy making this more than that. I've definitely found that I've enjoyed trying like playing more with um, the yeast side of things and mm. the the different ways that yeast can present itself, mm. um, especially the more that these companies have kind of targeted certain styles of yeast and how Hmm. they work. Um, So one of the big things we did, I guess it started in 2021, um, was a new yeast from Omega. 
um, called Cosmic Punch, hmm. which um, helps to unlock thiols, um, which are like a aromatic compound mostly found in wine, hmm. um, like passion fruit, guava. Hmm. Um, but it was kind of this this hmm. compound that was kind of not being released aromatically through fermentation. Yeah. Um, so huh. through different hopping techniques um, and the use of that yeast, you can really kind of blow the aroma out the out the windows. Huh. Um, I never thought of it like that. Like I'm I'm not never thought of it like a yeast or anything like that being able to pull out a different aroma. Mm-hmm. You know, in my head, I'm thinking of like cooking. If I want a flavor, I need to put more of that ingredient in, not use a different ingredient to bring that out. Yeah, and yeast is a a, a pretty big driving force of that. Um, even traditional mm-hmm. styles like Belgian yeast really kind of pushes mm-hmm. the nose of um, more spicy and uh, like phenolic flavors and aromas, like a mm-hmm. bubble gum, um, like licorice, and kind of huh. that. Um, another classic is the Hefeweizen yeast, which is very clove and banana like hmm. um and then you know lager yeast is very subdued and kind of lets the malt shine through a little bit um it's hmm. really interesting there's it's not you can switch one ingredient and really make a different beer but then the fun part is you know switching two ingredients very slightly or using them in a different way yeah that's really interesting so like i i've you know, last year i said st- well first of all let's get some more beer um as i'm so i got more in this more in that uh, like last year I became, I started helping out at Abbott farms yep. and, uh, with their bar and I started to get really interested in like cocktails and, and, you know, mixology, so to speak. And, but I was really interested in like, in like the traditional classic drinks, you know, I wanted to know like the first time a guy came up and I didn't have it on the menu, but he ordered an old fashioned and, I like looked at the recipe real quick on my phone and like shook the piss out of that drink. And he looked at me like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) Um, And I handed it to him and he like kind of gave me this look and walked away. And then after he left, I looked it up. I was like, oh, fuck, I was supposed to stir that. Um, (laughs) uh, So there's definitely like, especially with traditional beers too, like those are the ones you really don't want to mess with. mm -hmm. Um, There's so much variance in modern yeah. beer styles like an ipa for instance like ipa is just one style 10 years ago yeah um and now there's a thousand different versions there's a, like it really need like the category needs to be split into yeah. something else because you can't hand somebody an ipa and have them be like oh i know exactly what to expect right because it could be a hundred different things at this point yeah um whereas like if you if you hand somebody um like a hefeweizen for instance mm-hmm. to bring that back up again like kind of yeah you, you know what to expect going into it Right. Um, so when you sit down to like make a beer, if you're thinking, okay, uh, you know, in two months we need to release this Pilsner, are you kind of going back to, like, I've got cocktail books, so I'm going back to, I mean, not that I need to, but uh, for like classics for some of them, but I'm going back to like, all right, what is the traditional, you know, uh, French 75? That's a bad, mm-hmm. bad example, but you know what I mean? Um, like, how did they originally make this? And then that's what I want to do. Are you kind of doing that if you're making a Pilsner or whatever the beer is? Or are you kind of saying, all right, I've got the recipe. What could I, you're looking at the recipe and saying, what could I insert in here or change to make it different? I guess it really depends on kind of what we're looking to do. Um, like as a, our finished product. Yeah. Um, for something that we're like a traditional style, definitely kind of looking at, you know, a very 
traditional recipe, but then I also like to go back and try and see if I can find examples of very well-known examples of it. Mm. Um, uh, so for instance, like Oktoberfest, I, I did a lot of looking at um, very classic German examples mm. um, and even some American examples that mm. kind of have always been around and that people really enjoy drinking mm. and kind of mesh those ideas together to make it our own. Yeah, but there are certain styles where it's well, this is this is how you make a pilsner. Yeah, like for like uh, you said old fashioned. My drink of choice is Manhattan. Like okay, yeah, bourbon, bitters, vermouth. Right, like, you don't really. That, that's yeah. kind of it. Yeah, you don't change it. You don't you don't mess around with it. Um, whereas then you get into some of the the newer styles. Like okay, well here's our IPA base with like the same grains, but what hops do we want to use? Where do we want? Hmm. Like, what flavor profile are we looking at? So we want to add those hops here, or we want them there. What yeast do we want to use? Hmm. That's kind of where the more play comes into. Gotcha. Um, speaking of cocktails, one of the other things that I um, was kind of starting to do last year was look at kind of drinks and replicating them as a beer. Mm. So I did a um, strawberry hmm. uh, margarita or a strawberry daiquiri sour. Oh, cool. um, I did a watermelon mojito. Hmm. Um, so hmm. trying to like think of a drink that everyone knows. Yeah. Um, almost to bridge the gap from those people that are like, well, I only drink cocktails. Well, like, yeah, here's, here's a, a cocktail that everyone kind of knows that, you know, you know what to expect, right. but here it is in, in a beer form. Hmm. Um, so that's been really fun too, especially trying to replicate a flavor yeah. um, in a very different way. Yeah. That's interesting. I want to take a quick moment to remind you about DinerAI.com. If you are wondering how you can use ChatGPT to grow your business and marketing and operations, menu development, recipe development, building out training manuals for your staff, it is through ChatGPT that you can get all this done. And if you don't know how to do it, then we're telling you about it over at DinerAI.com. You can pick up our ebook, and that's going to take you in a deep dive through everything. Or you can read our daily blogs and get some tips and tricks. But head over to DinerAI.com today and learn how to grow your business using chat GPT and artificial intelligence. And now back to the podcast. So what do you think is like the biggest area of growth for the beer scene? Is it kind of doing that? Is it trying to find like, I mean, this is an extreme and bad example, but is it trying to say like, I'm going to make a beer that tastes exactly like a Twinkie or is it trying to, Um, is it like going back to the roots of, Hey, this is a, this is a, you know, a lager, and yeah. this is a lager, and this is a lager. I feel like the, the beer scene now is definitely at that fork in the road where a lot of people are like, you need to go back to, like, beer is beer. Yeah. And the other half is like, well, how much fruit and pastries and whatnot can right. I put in this beer, and how yeah. wild can I really make it? Where um, do you stand on it? Personally, I... Would rather make more traditional, like have fun with more traditional styles um, and not go too kind of overboard. Right. Um, But then, you know, that's what sells. So it's (laughs) it's kind of this this inner demon of of fighting back. I remember sitting at a meeting like years ago. IBU was the first brewery in town that Mm -hmm. like, there was the first brewery, craft brewery that like got me into craft beer. And it's really hard to have a conversation with a big Nike and not get into craft beer. Um, but that was the first craft brewery that like we would go to in town. And um, 
And anyway, so long story short, I got to go to a, I think it was a New York Beer Association meeting at Willow Rock. Okay. And I went with Pedro and, and Big Mike. And, um, and I remember Big Mike saying, I forget what he asked everybody, but he basically said, they were talking about how the percentage was about to get bumped up from, for farm breweries. And, um, and then they were talking about like the challenge of that getting bumped up when you're trying to make your West Coast, you know, IPAs and all yep. that kind of shit. And, and he was saying, listen, everybody, ever, no one in here wants to make that bullshit West Coast hazy IPA. Everyone wants to make this, but that is what sells. And so we have to make it. Yeah. Uh, and that really, that's always stuck with me. It's like, you know, having to decide what are you going to do? Are you going to play to kind of what sells or are you going to do what you want and hope people jump on board? I think it was a lot easier to do a couple of years ago um, where you could kind of put your foot down and be like, this is, this is what we're making. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite breweries out in uh, Denver is Beerstadt Lager House. Okay. Um, they only make lagers. Hmm. Um, I'm sure, I'm not sure how long they've been around, but I'm sure in their first two years, like, yeah. when are you guys going to make an IPA? When are you guys going to make a sour? I'm like, no, we only make lagers. Mm. And now they're one of the most well-regarded breweries in the country. Huh. Um, and people make, like, the pilgrims. It's like going to Russian River or The Alchemist. Like, okay. um, that this is all we make. Yeah. Um, I feel like that'd be very hard to do now mm-hmm. unless you're really, really good at it um, and you have the market and the, the location to be able to pull something like that off. Yeah. Um, I think everyone has something that they take a lot more pride in, mm-hmm. in making and are really good at making it, but you still got to, you know, hmm. take from the other side to, to be able to, to do that pet yeah. project. Yeah. Um, huh. in a way, um, there's a lot of places. I mean, I've had some of those really fruited examples. That's not my, cup yeah. of tea but sometimes you have one of those and you're like wow that really does taste like a toasted coconut pie like <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say about it <laughs> i wouldn't want more than a can i don't even want a full can of it yeah. but um you guys nailed it yeah so somebody just posted i don't know what brewery it was on i saw it on our instagram account but it wasn't a local one but it was a new york state one and it was a i think it was like a cookie monster i was gonna bring that up it was yeah. tin barn yeah what the fuck was that uh i believe it was blue cookie dough soft serve was Bir- that a birthday that was a, cake soft serve and blueberries that was a real beer it wasn't a joke i mean it's it's not april 1st yet so i think it was because uh, i mean that thing was thick as shit yeah um it just i can <laughs> imagine the mouthfeel of something like that <laughs> um but people are going to be lined up at the door for it that is insane um, and I'm not knocking it. Like I'm sure it tastes. I'm sure it tastes great. But I mean, I am knocking it. Um, uh, but I am saying that that seems ridiculous to me. That's that's one of those <laughs> things that makes me lose a little faith in the uh, in the craft beer humanity. Yeah, uh, sure. But huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a number of like a number of those breweries across the country that yeah. you know really dive deep into those styles. Um, for our fruited sours, we've kind of hit the middle ground and we really like Hmm. hitting the flavor profile we're hitting, but not kind of going over the top. Um, Those end up kind of being a packaging nightmare. Um, You, you got to keep them cold. You should keep all beer cold, but that's not always the easiest thing to, you know, tell all your suppliers to do or um, your package accounts and and whatnot. Hmm. Um, Or even the, you know, consumer at home. Right. um, Or or drink it fresh. Like, yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I was just uh, 
especially now getting, you know, uh, buying and selling alcohol. Uh, I've been thinking about that and, you know, I've had to, like, I was just texting Tim. I was like, how long is this? We tap this keg. How long am I, how long do I have before it goes bad? And I was like, he told, you know, he was, it was the hot whip. He's like, yeah, you've got about a month. I'm like, well, shit, I'm not going to sell all of this in a month. Uh, not this month. Cause it's like, you know, we're just opening it's dead. But, uh, yeah, beer has a date. And it does. It's, we found like, for instance, like the, the rule of thumb for, for IPAs is about 90 days. Okay. Um, at least that's what I had always been told. And I kind of, in my experience have found, yeah. um, you get a drop off in the hop character, um, especially if it's not stored correctly or packaged. Like, there's a lot of variables that go into it, but yeah. kind of 90 days is is the general consensus. Hmm. Um, but we we you know we have some IPAs that you know are past that that you yeah. know still taste just fine. But it's one of those things that you know some consumers see that and like they don't want to buy an IPA that's less than two weeks old. Yeah. And it's right. like, I, I don't know. You don't, how do you can, how do you keep <laughs> up with something like that? Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. I don't know how you do. I, I do have an, uh, a can of hot whip in my fridge. That's like a year old. And I was just thinking that might be a funny video to take like a fresh one and that year old one. And then make Tim drink them. Yeah. Make them. I was thinking, I was thinking I would drink them. But yeah. Make Tim drink them. The thing is with Tim would gladly do it. And yeah. Just laugh about it. Yeah, Tim so, would. Um, yeah. Uh, so what do you think is, um, I mean, what do you think is next in the in the world of beer? Uh, you know, I'd imagine. Let, let's just assume it's regionally. I mean, I wouldn't imagine using pounds and pounds of soft serve mix to make a blue <laughs> beer that turns your tongue blue. But. Is that really what they do? They put soft serve mix in? Yeah. Oh Jesus! I've messed around with uh, vanilla soft serve. Um, actually, well, let's use utilize it in this one. Uh, so this is raspberry rhubarb pie. Um, the sour we ended up entering. Um, uh, just as like a, so I don't forget, uh, later, if you ever want fresh blueberries, when blueberry season comes in in July, Abbott's okay. for beer, cause they've got a shit ton okay. of acres of blueberries and like half of their crop always dies on the, on the bush. I will keep that in mind for sure. Um, so this has graham cracker and cinnamon in the mash, um, kettle soured and then rhubarb and raspberry and, uh, vanilla soft serve. Actual vanilla soft serve? Uh, it's uh, vanilla soft serve powder. Okay. Um, lactose free. We were using... You know what? I want to drink this beer. Uh, I want to drink this beer when I have a hazy IPA in the other hand. Okay. That Go is, back and forth. Yeah. That is my thing. I don't know why. Okay. I can... I. It's all, like This is like a perfect amount. Like about a half a can of a sour is great for me. Yeah. For my palate. That's usually where I'm at too. <laughs> but if I have an if I have a hazy IPA and I'm drinking both at the same time, I could go all day long. Yeah. Yeah. There was one time when I I realized, oh shit, sours are low ABV. I could sit here and drink twelve of them a night and be fine. Mm-hmm. And then I started to get massive heartburn. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Especially as they get more sour and sour. Yeah. Yeah. They uh it's definitely I mean, I find it with IPAs too, but like yeah. at a certain point you're you just get mouth fatigue. Right. Um what's the ABV on this? Uh four two. Okay. That's it's not high, but it's kinda high for a sour, right? Um it's kind of with a lot of the fruit of sours now are usually around like five or six. Oh really? Um our Exoplanet series, which is um kind of our more modern take on our sours, mm-hmm. is uh six two, six wow. four. 
I don't know what what I don't know which beer it was. I saw it at Harvey's Garden. It was a sour. It was like two one or two two. Traditionally, like uh, like a traditional like old school German sour, like a Berliner Weiss, are usually very low alcohol. Okay. Um, they've kind of bumped up in the modern days, mm. um, just because that's kind of what the consumers have been wanting. Um, I find it also helps with the heavy fruit load mm. um, to help kind of give it a little bit more balance okay um as opposed to just kind of the beer dropping out and it just being yeah a smoothie yeah for sure um huh yeah that's interesting there's definitely there's a lot more nuances to making like the fruited sours than just like picking fruits out of a hat and dumping them in um because in my like my take on it like you still want to know that you're drinking a beer yeah um you're still trying to target a certain flavor profile yeah instead of just like hmm. taking you know the kitchen sink of all the fruit and dumping it in so where where do you get like the the zip in this is it just from the fruit or do you have to add something into it to get that kind of tang almost um so we kettle sour it um okay. we what does forgive me yep. what does that mean so um <laughs> we take the wort we do our mash our grains and hot water extract the wort out um give it a quick boil um, and then I inoculate it with uh, raw grain, mm. which naturally has lactic acid in it. Ah, okay. Um, and lactic acid producing bacteria. Okay. Um, we'll let that sit for 24 to 36 hours in the kettle um, and then boil it as you know normal after okay. that um, to kill off the lactic bacteria and then proceed with fermentation okay. as normal. Um, mm. You also get a little tang from the raspberry. Um, yeah. Just gives that a little zip, but yeah. the the background is the so that pretty much if you if I'm seeing a kettle sour, I'm gonna be getting that hit in the back of my mouth. Yep, uh, okay. you can get it too from kind of more of a traditional soured beer, which happens after like during the ferment, like it's a mixed fermentation mm. where you ferment with yeast and bacteria. Okay, um, a lot of the more modern sours are done um, kettle in sour. the kettle, yeah, um, because then you. You boil it afterwards, you kill off all that bacteria and have a, a little bit more of a stable product yeah. that is going to remain at that kind of tartness. Yeah. Whereas with more of a, a mixed fermentation, you can have mm. variants depending on when you have it. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's really... And a little different. Like, it's a totally different flavor profile. Yeah. I've always wondered that. Like, I see, like, Godzilla, for example, from Willow Rock is always kettle sour. And I'm like... Um, what the fuck does that mean? Uh, I know it's a sour beer, you know. Um, it's consistency. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because yeah. you're controlling it versus the other way. You're you're relying solely on nature, basically. Yeah, you can essentially let it sour to a, a certain, uh, you get a, a pH drop mm-hmm. to make it a little more acidic, um, or to make it acidic, rather. Um, so you can kind of target where you want it to stop Yeah. and kind of really have consistency in that product. Mm-hmm. Um but more of the mixed firm or wild fermented stuff, you get a lot more nuanced and kind of different levels okay. of sour um, that can progress over time. Especially that's you can age those bottles, yeah, um, hmm. on your own or let it kind of sit in the barrel or uh, yeah, depending on where you're fermenting it um, until you feel it's ready to go. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So, huh? All right, so like. You know, you're a brewer. You know what you're doing. <laughs> I, I, I like to think so. If there's one thing I've learned, uh, I think a lot of us in the industry would say that we all suffer from imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, especially, I think, mm. like, personally, like, 
I kind of fell into it. Like I always had a passion for the science behind it. I, you know, like I said, I homebrewed yeah. a few times in college. Like, and you're a scientist <laughs> now, <laughs> apparently. Um, but there's definitely times where it's like, fake it till you make it, I guess. Yeah. And like, yeah. Uh, yeah. nobody's nobody's figured it out yet. So I guess I'll just keep going. Uh, I've started to have this understanding, or not understanding. I've started to think about recently what it means to be an expert in my field. And you know, I'm 36. I'm going to be 37 this year, so I feel kind of old. Mm-hmm. And um, especially having a kid now, I'm like, what the fuck did we do? Like, why why are, why do we do this so old? My wife is four years younger than me. Um, but I'm just like, to me, it's still not an, it's like still like a every other day realization that I'm not 25 anymore. Yeah. And although I still feel like, oh, I've got time to figure my shit out, but I, you know. Um, time goes by fast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, and I was, Nicole and I were talking about this yesterday. I have always looked up to business, other business owners, especially restaurant owners, and like put them on a pedestal. It's like, here at Eat Local New York, we take small swings. Like we're a mar- like what we're standing in, what we're sitting in is like the biggest swing really financially that I've, that I've had to take. Yep. Um, I don't have to sign some massive lease on, you know, and buy $500,000 worth of equipment, whatever the case is, like restaurant and brewery owners do. So I've always looked up to them. It's like, holy shit, you took this huge risk hoping this is going to pay off. Um, and so I've, with that in mind, I've always looked up to restaurant owners like a little bit more like maybe one day I'll get to your level. And then recently I've talked to, I've been talking to a few of them over the past few months who I've gotten a little closer to who are like one of them owns a business that is doing fine, but they had to go get a second job in order to pay their bills. To keep going. And I was like, holy fuck. It's like no one is safe. Sort yeah. of a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so that has kind of snapped me into feeling like Eat Local New York is kind of like this, oh, I'm having fun, I'm making you know shows about food, to holy shit, I need to be the expert in this. Like, yeah. um, and not so much like, you, like I have to be, but almost like I can be the expert in this. Um, sort of, sort of a feeling, and I don't know if I'm explaining it as well as I, as I, as well as it feels in my head, but it's just kind of like this realization of like, we're in a relatively small area. There's not too many other people around here that do what I do. I mean, there are, there are too many influencers in the world, um, but there's not too many people around here that do what I do to the same level. And so I could be the expert in this thing. Um, and so that's kind of like helped me shift out of like the, I wouldn't say I had imposter syndrome, but I, I understand that. But I had more like, oh, I'm just playing around syndrome, sort yeah. of, if that makes sense. Like and realizing now like, okay, I, I, I got to dive deep or, yeah. or not. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, there's definitely that. I mean, Eat Local New York hasn't done shit uh, in terms of like making it, mm-hmm. you know, like profitability. And, uh, you know, because we, we've got, like, the marketing side of the business where we manage marketing for people, content creation. We've got our side, our own social media stuff, um, the Eat Local card, yeah. you know, all these different facets. And um, where was I going with this? I forget where I was going with it. <laughs> I hate when that happens. That's another sign of getting older. Uh, you know, we've had all these different things, but never one thing have we really, like, 
we're going to be this, okay. you know? And, um, so like trying to find the niche, trying to find that, but also, um, I don't know, just trying to be like, like right now I know that if, if I put out this, like a series of videos for someone, um, you know, like we just spent last week, we was, we spent the whole day out in like Herkimer and Utica and Rome and yep. we filmed at five restaurants and like made 25 videos and five videos at each restaurant. I know that when I put those videos out for that restaurant, that it's going to do something for them. Like they're maybe they're probably arguably going to see an uptick and at the very least followers yeah. on social media. That's, um, I mean, that's the, that's the goal. Yeah, right. for sure. And Actually, it just happened yesterday. We did the, or two days ago, we did the giveaway with Guadalajara. Mm-hmm. They got like 500 followers on Instagram. Um, now, you know, hopefully they can capitalize on that and, um, uh, and uh, bring in more business, yep. which they should, because I'm actually doing their social media. <laughs> Our neighbors. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's yep. right. Uh, yeah, when they opened, it was uh, it was really hard not to get food every day <laughs> Yeah, from there. I said this to him. Actually, Luis's podcast is out today, uh, this week. But um, uh, if you look at just where I've spent the most money at one given restaurant over the last year, Guadalajara would be my favorite restaurant, yeah. just based on that one fact alone. It was it was lunch a while for me, and then it was also like, oh, I'm working late. Um, yep, that's the easiest place to get takeout from, and I'll just yeah. take it home. <laughs> yeah, that's how it was when I lived in Texas, because um, there's like Mexican restaurants everywhere, and some of them had drive-throughs. Oh God! So it was e- very easy to like run through and grab some tacos really quickly that were like some of the best tacos you've ever had. No, like a Taco Bell drive-thru. Right. Completely different. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, that's how it was for me. So that would be dangerous if I worked in the same building as Guadalajara. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I, so I guess I'm, you know, I'm as I've gotten older, it's kind of gone from over the past two years with Eat Local, it's gone from like we're having fun. Yeah, we're selling this card and we're doing marketing. We're making videos to now it's like, hey, this is a business and we can do this sort of a thing. So... I've kind of gotten. I think I'm kind of shifting out of the imposter syndrome a little bit, and uh, and now I'm like, okay, I should be the expert on this one thing. Yeah, like we have the reputation, we should be it. You know, um, do you think there's space in like the beer world for there to be more like the place in Denver where it's like, hey, if I want an IPA, I know I need to go here. If I want a sour, I know I need to go here. I think they're definitely. I mean, I think it's happening right now. Um, okay. Even like hyper local, um, like like if you're gonna go out, let's just assume no one's listening to this. <laughs> Very few are, but let's just assume nobody okay. is. Uh, if you were gonna go out and get an IPA in Syracuse right now, where would you go? I'd probably go see Keith up at UBL. Yeah, yeah, duh, that's an obvious one. Um, yeah, I didn't even think about that. I always forget about them. Yeah, they're like, yeah. I mean, the they're, he's, they're, they're killing the hazy game. Yeah. Um, that and Saison's right now, um, especially mm. after they uh, pulled in Saul. Um, Saul. Yeah. Ooh, man. Uh, Saul is like my favorite, you know, person, I think, in, in central New York. Um, it was really like, so when I came on board at, at TC, um, it was Billy and Keith before me. 
That's right. Um, Billy had left for Heritage. Yeah. Um, Keith was still helping out um, Andrew until I started. Um, so Keith was one of the first people I met. I didn't um, know that. I didn't know that Keith was there. Yep. Um, kind of part-time while he was trying to figure out UBL. Yeah. Um, and then he went and helped out Billy for a little bit mm. um, while they were still, you know, working okay. out the kinks before they got their location up and running. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I inherited from Keith and Billy was a uh, Brett Pilsner um, mm. that they did with Saul. Mm. Um, so about a month after I started, we had Saul come in mm. um, and we hand-bottled <laughs> About uh, probably five barrels of beer um, <laughs> over uh, the course of almost twelve hours, wow. um, and Saul was one of the, the one of the cooler people I've met in the area. Yeah. Um, I you know have run into him a couple times since then. Um, he's just he's yeah. just a busy guy. Um, I was very excited mm. to hear that he was. You know, I know working with Keith. His the New York Gold Nail. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know what it's. Uh, when you're hung, if whatever you eat when you're really hungry is like the best thing you've ever had. Yep. And I feel like it's the same way. Whatever you drink at eight in the morning, and so going <laughs> to, going to the regional market and running and seeing his setup, and then having that New York Gold Nail at like seven eight in the morning. It was the best beer you've had. Yeah. Yep. Like ever in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. I wish. I wish that the craft beer scene was more like that, more like Saul's that existed. Where they're just setting up at a random farmer's market and yep. selling a few big bottles than 12 different breweries. Yep. And really having a hard time figuring out like where yeah. where to go. Right. And having to try and do everything. Yep. And do, I mean, do you feel the same way? Or do you, I mean, it's kind of probably tough because you, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of those questions that's probably tough to, yeah. to come at as somebody like outside of the industry. Um, if you could snap your fingers right now and either be the head brewer at a massive like long trail or sit in a farmhouse all day and make small bottles that you sell at the farmer's market, which would you do? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I think if, if you're the head brewer at a place like long trail, you're really not on the floor. You're sitting on, <laughs> sitting, you're kind of riding the desk. Uh, and you'd rather be on the floor. Yeah, that's okay. probably one thing that I've, you know, yeah. I kind of like doing it. Um, yeah. It's kind of the, you know, I feel every day is different. I'm always busy. Mm. I always have something to do. Yeah. Um, I don't think a desk job would be good for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. If I could snap my fingers, I probably, I love the beer industry. I probably would have done something different. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I just, it, it's not the easiest um there's yeah. a, phys- you know, a physical toll um you know probably would have tr- you know maybe invested in crypto a little earlier or something like that <laughs> i mean everyone if they could have bought Bit- bitcoin at a dollar would have yeah, said yeah, yeah. i would have done that but uh yeah no i mean all kidding aside no i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't change anything yeah um i definitely like the smaller scale you know having yeah a little more hands-on and and more of the the ability to to create mm-hmm. um and hmm. come out with new things instead of just being like, well, we make these four beers. Yeah. And then maybe once a year we come out with something different. Yeah. Um, hmm. So I guess, yeah, farmer's market yeah. <laughs> is where I would end up. Yeah. All right. So this is, you kind of just talked about it, but uh, the final question that David Anastasio from 
Peachtree Sandwich Company asked me to told me I should ask every guest is why do you oh, do... I miss their BLT yeah, man <laughs> oh their BLT yeah their fried chicken sandwich was great yeah. it was delicious uh, so was that fudge I'm their sh- fudge was there. then they had, uh, you yeah. got a piece of fudge with every uh, yeah. every order right yeah I'm sure he's gonna reopen because he's like started doing cooking videos now yeah. on the Instagram account yeah, I've seen those yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sure the plan is to reopen one day okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the question is, uh, why do you do what you do? Oh, man. <laughs> um, I feel like I say this every time, but like the community involvement, yeah. um, mm. the people I've met on the journey. Um, yeah. I just, yeah, yeah, the people that I've interacted with and have conversations with, um, yeah. the mm. ability to always be learning. Yeah. Um, like kind of like you're, conversation before about being an expert like yeah you could you know be an expert but i like the fact that there's always there's always something new to learn about and always something new Mm. to try and 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 do um, differently Mm. even if you you know have perfected one thing there's there's always something new coming out yeah yeah we do i mean in terms of the community we really do have I don't know of the only brewery in town that I know that people hate is Myers Creek. Uh, and and I have no problem saying that because I'm one of those people. Uh, but in all seriousness. Oh, I love those guys, though. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, I fucking can't stand them. Oh. Um, I don't think any of them. I don't know. Well, yeah, whatever. We'll talk about that <laughs> off there. Um, uh in, in the restaurant world, there's restaurant owners that kind of like shit on each other and just can't stand each other just for zero reason other than the fact that like. I think it'd be weird if there wasn't that. Yeah. Um, yes, that's true. You do need some level of competition. There's got to be a villain somewhere. Yeah, and that's Myers Creek. And I know that <laughs> there is. I know. I know that there is. I know that there is healthy competition amongst all the breweries in town. But still, I've never heard uh, from any of like the the significant ones. Talking cursive, Middle Ages, Buried Acorn, Willow Rock, Three One Five, Full Bore. I've never, and I'm sure I've, I've missed a couple, but I, I've never heard from any of them like, man, I really can't stand that brewer or that brewery or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know? Like, everybody kind of pokes fun at each other a little bit for be, for their individual beers, but no one's ever, like, vehemently against another brewery in town. Yeah. Which I think that's really cool. I don't see that uh, in, in any other, like, craft industry. Coffee, they kind of fight. You know, spirits, they kind of a little bit... Um, uh, but not in beer. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I I mean, I didn't really have that ability to... I mean, I met a lot of other brewers in Vermont when I was working at Long Trail and living there. Hmm. Um, but if you're not in Burlington, you're kind of isolated, and that's just the nature of Vermont to yeah. begin with. Um, right. But it still feels like this... The beer scene in just central New York and then just New York in general mm-hmm. is like... In, like I haven't met a bad person. Yeah. Um, I haven't met somebody that I haven't really been able to get along with. Yeah. Um, That's cool. We, you know, we're all, you know, inherently competing against each other. Yeah. Um, But we all want each other to do well because if, if all of us don't do well, then nobody's going to do well. Right. So. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. Well, Paul, you said it all. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Everybody's listening. Go out to Talking Cursive Brewing Company in downtown Syracuse. Get some beer. Get your local New York card. Save $5. Spend $25 or more. Yeah. Good luck tonight, this weekend. Thanks. Yeah. Friday night. Uh, you can watch on YouTube. Yeah. 7 p.m. Awesome. So hopefully, uh, 
hopefully we take some medals home, but we'll see, uh, hopefully just anybody in central New York, but yeah, I know, uh, I know we're not the only ones that send stuff in. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks man. Of course. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Local New York podcast. It really means a lot to me that you're tuning in every single week. Make sure you subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to this on. You can also find the video version over on our YouTube channel or on our website at eatlocalnewyork.com. And uh, stay tuned. We've got so much happening this year. We can't wait to just continue to talk about it and spread the word about everything awesome that's happening here in the food and beverage scene in central New York and beyond in all of New York State. Thanks so much. We're going to catch you back here next week for a brand new episode of the Eat Local New York podcast.